0: Hey guys welcome back to another weird wednesday i'm ashers and this is Pedo. and also
1: alan greenfield
0: oh my gosh what a pleasure we've only been trying to get you on for like the last month
1: yeah well there was that caving uh i wouldn't call it an accident i had a shelf come out from under me and my back i'm still wearing a back brace uh i i was fortunate that i was with two uh Really, really good spielunkers. Or I might still be down there with the Dero and the Tiro. Hello.
0: not and... <laughs> <laughs> huh?
1: <laughs> So I sort of uh, I got in touch with my publisher and I said, cancel everything for August. I think I'm going to be in too much pain to do anything. Oh my God! But it's heroic, you know. I mean, it was not like uh, the uh, Hellier people. Going into a cave and invoking Pan, which I don't really recommend. Also, uh, abandoned mines or places. Problem saving local backup audio. Error, error. The men in black are coming.
2: I should be good on my end. It, I think yeah, because that that just means it, like we talked like it's gonna afterwards like we'll we'll hang out and I'll don't download it from my side. So you should be good.
1: Yeah, anytime you want to hang out, I, uh, you know, I'm here, but I'm here like late, you know, like night when, you know, (laughs) I come out of my coffin because the big yellow thing is not up in the sky.
0: (laughs) That's okay. That's all right. Hey, you know what? We're just glad to have you here in general. So it's good to finally have you. Pato, did you have anything exciting happen this weekend?
2: Oh God, I don't want to waste any time talking about my boring ass life. Um, the the one thing I will mention, I did go to the Chicago Paranormal Convention, uh, and I, I filmed some stuff with Leland Pearson of Questioning the Weird. That was that was interesting because it was I've done the paranormal conventions with uh, the podcast, and those all seem to be kind of you know when we did with Phil, that was UFO based uh Marietta was kind of paranormally um but I feel like everything's been more I don't know if it's regional has been more like UFO or cryptid based and the one that we went to this weekend was a lot of um a lot of like ghost hunters and that's like that's kind of like a different crowd you know what I mean um I think there's a there's a really good joke to be written about the five kind of you know seven people that seven types of people you run into paranormal conventions and like ghost hunters are definitely their own thing but uh it was interesting to talk to these guys and because number one i found out that like people will pay them to do that like they'll they'll send them into uh places that have like a lot of like supposed haunting activity with cameras and they'll give them money for to get in and they'll give them money for their equipment and shit just because they want to own the footage if they happen to capture anything so i don't know how widespread that is but talking to these guys a lot of their investigations yeah (laughs)
1: Or the cable or whatever we're using here.
0: They're really trying to kick you off. You must have some juicy information for us today.
1: Happens all the time to me. And the book that uh, Olive, my publisher, and I are working on right now is about the Black Lodge. Mm. And it's a tough book to write because it's like the third in the series notice how i get my plug in for the complete secret <laughs> cipher of the ufonauts available now in a combined edition there you go but uh, but uh one of the things we we're including are my own encounters with the black lodge which were pretty scary but less scary than all the people that uh, used to be famous in ufology and cryptozoology and all kinds of ologies who died under mysterious circumstances. And our criterion is, you know, if they were like 85, we don't consider them particularly mysterious unless they get pushed out of a window in Moscow, yeah. which happens a lot, I hear. Um, it, it's called defenestration. I like the term. It, it sounds like something else much more sexual than, you know, merited because it just involves uh, killing somebody by throwing them out of a... High window, which must be a—I uh, don't know—a Eastern European custom, because that was when the communists—you remember them—took sure. over Slovakia. The uh, prominent uh, liberal leader there got thrown out of an eighth-floor window, and they say he was defenestrated by the KGB, which well, doesn't exist anymore. Right, right, and- it doesn't exist anymore. It's a very
2: low-fi way to go about it, I guess. If you're looking to off someone, just find a, a toss. But William Forrester or Forrestall or the uh, right the he was the guy from um, the general that I don't know. You know who the hell he is, right? He was an admiral, I believe. Yes, that that was involved in the early UFO stuff. He jumped out of a window. But I gotta ask, like, you're right. A lot of people, uh, a lot of your contemporaries did kind of have that fate. Does that leave you with survivor's guilt, or do you do you wonder like? Was I just that far off that I was never worthy of being killed, or do you just think The thought that, has you,
1: occurred to me. <laughs> or you, it's not funny. I'm not laughing at it, but like... <laughs> don't listen to me. I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Go read
2: the papers of the people that were killed shortly thereafter. I'm, I'm no. obviously way far off base, because I'm still alive, and I'm still writing these things, right? But no, I mean, that's got to kind of... Does that ever make you question, like, what you're doing, like, the
1: fact that... No, I have... I mean, I don't want to push this, but... Sure. I have pretty good survival skills and they came close once. Yeah. That was is a long story involved there but basically uh this a uh, guy that looked like Charles Manson showed up at the lodge to which I belonged at the time and started to this was like 1987, something like that, because the way I can date it is it was the time of the harmonic convergence and he was pushing that. So I decided this guy is clearly trying to disrupt the work we're doing here. So I'm gonna wait till he's leaving and pull a whammy on him. So he's talking about the date of the harmonic convergence, which is, you know, like the 2012 thing. I've been through so many end of the world scenarios that if the world actually ended, I would be, whoa, I don't believe this. <laughs> yeah. Sort of the Christian science of, uh, of ufology and so forth. But, um, in any case, um, I waited till he started to leave, got in his van of course it was a van and I said hmm, well it's very interesting your doomsday scenarios but of course and I, I just did, took a date out of the air April 4th 1994 that'll be your day and I had this menacing look on my face and I could tell I got to him so I thought <laughs> I turned the tables well a few months later I was uh, at some, I uh, was called a spiral gathering at Hard Labor Creek State Park here in Georgia. Yeehaw! And uh, he showed up there and I thought, uh, this is not good, stuff's gonna happen here. And it did. He uh, apparently had done his circulation with these miscellaneous hippy-dippy people and uh announced that he was doing a um a raffle and that he was raffling off a naked slave serving breakfast to one lucky person among those who i'm, I'm not making any of this up <laughs> who uh uh, would contribute to a fund that was to clean up Arabia mountain. Now, Arabia mountain in those days was completely obscure. I mean, even people that lived in, uh, the, the, the neighboring towns, Conyers, Georgia, and other places that are now absorbed into Atlanta because Atlanta is a Hydra and a vast amoeba, but, uh, even people that live there don't know about arabia mountain and i do because that's my power spot and that's where the 10 years of the great arabia working where i empowered whoever came there peacefully and i thought well that's a signal this has to do with me which means i will win the raffle and sure enough i won the raffle uh The naked slave turned out to be a girl from some off, off, off OTO branch from upstate New York. And. What'd you have for
0: breakfast? Yeah, was it good?
1: uh, No, I gave it to my uh, compatriots from the lodge because. Throw throw it to your homies. (laughs) I figured. (laughs) let (laughs) let them be poisoned. You see, that's why I (laughs) survived. Right. Oh, yeah, Ron, go ahead and have food. It's okay. I'm not eating tonight. It's, See, con- it's a convention- fast day.
2: Conventional wisdom would tell you never look a naked slave guest slave in the mouth. And Dr. Alan Greenfield, absolutely <laughs> not. He threw this one back, catch and release. He's like, no, nah, I don't want this. Well, room. then
1: my uh, ex-wife, number two, was sleeping in the same room. So I thought, it better to, you know, not right. give damaging. <laughs> so it, it wasn't my extreme chastity or nobility. It was uh, sure. survival. Again, survival <laughs> instincts. This time, my legally yeah. survival instinct. Anyway, so later in this, uh, uh, actually I made out with that girl, but she had clothes on at the time. That was before the uh, whole thing there. So it's, uh, I just remembered that part, you know, it was the same person. There were hundreds of people there, so it's uh, really uh, coincidental. Anyway, on the last day there, uh, there was a dining hall, and I was on my way there, and there stands my uh, Charles Manson clone out in front of it, and he holds out his hand, and because I, I am a Southern gentleman, I reflexively shook his hand, And on the, he had a ring on that had, I mean, it's it's an old Borgia way of poisoning people. He had a pin on the inside of the ring and he just touched it to my hand and I thought, I'm dead. Maybe I should eat first, (laughs) but nothing happened. And I thought it was a warning, you know, we can get to you anytime we want to. Right. So on the one hand, maybe I do know a thing or three, but on the other hand, I got the warning, but from then on, uh, like Trump, God help me. <laughs> I don't shake hands with people.
0: <laughs> that's not a bad um, that's, not, that's not a bad practice to take up.
1: <laughs> yeah, these days, I guess so. right yeah. you know. <laughs> I, uh, I think day after tomorrow I get my fifth Pfizer. TM. Oh, COVID a, shot. Yeah. Cause
0: upgraded? Is that- <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know what it's doing to my DNA, you know, <laughs> but I know that, uh, being a, uh, what was the term my father liked to use? An older fella. I, uh, I feel like, you know, I ought to stay COVID free and oh, yeah. knock on wood. I totally, uh, would rather risk the injections than so. I mean, I I get flu shot every year, and I'm right. I you know knock on wood, I have never, never uh, had a bad reaction to any vaccine, and I know other people who have, sure. including my one of my sons who uh, had a bad reaction. Not not anything, you know. My life threatening.
2: Is- it's interesting you bring that up my son did too and they they stopped just short of saying it was a covid related injury he recovered from it but his he was having like paralysis and like his eye and he could see but it's like he he looked kind of like sloth from the goonies and like his one mm. eye was like that and, and he was but he it was like a couple months and some prednisone and it cleared up and we went to an uh an ophthalmologist and was did a bunch of tests and because of the timing was right around when he got his his second shot we thought it was because of that and there was really no way to prove it but it's interesting to me that a lot of people that would have prior to covid been labeled kind of conspiracy theorists a lot of them were more or less okay with the with the vaccine i i got it and you know no big deal but then there was a lot of people that before this and before kind of trump weren't conspiracy theorists that now are very anti-vax they're pro QAnon stuff like that and it's i feel like some of us that were in this mindset before we were almost inoculated we have pretty good bullshit detectors we're like you know we we don't necessarily just take you know the the uh the popular story or whatever you know we we have a tendency to kind of think for ourselves and do the research and all that but we still more or less got the vaccine and went on about our lives. You know, it's the people that kind of didn't spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff that were radicalized. Well,
1: if you have any kind of pre uh, you know, especially pulmonary, uh, difficulties or are over 50 or are, uh, There's some relationship between being overweight and uh, mortality. It's very wise to get the vaccine because percentage-wise, the likelihood of having some problem from vaccination and some problem from, from, I mean, most people that get the flu, get the flu, but a certain percentage of people don't make it through and it's usually people who are older and people who have pre-existing conditions Mm. and so forth so it 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 makes sense for some people Uh, for other people they don't need a conspiracy theory to say well this was a vaccine that uh, is sort of ad hoc i mean most vaccines they take years and years on the other hand the annual flu shot because the flu is kind of a descendant of the Spanish flu that killed off so many people during World War I and kind of changed the world. Um, they have to change the vaccine every year. Mm. I've never had an ill reaction right. to, to that, but they do manipulate it. And uh, anything that you put into your body, you should think about it. But then to become compare, the government is making everyone sterile. Details at 11.
2: Jesus, I wish it would save me from getting a fucking vasectomy 10 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why would, if I knew they'd be handing this shit out for free at some point, what a fucking. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah,
1: well, do they? Is it, it free?
0: It should be. <laughs> but. What do I know? I'm just a woman. I'm not allowed to get abortions or whatever. Um, but-
1: <laughs> not anymore, because not anymore. <laughs> the Supremes, baby love, my baby love, whoo, I need your love. Um, <clears throat> oh, the other Supremes. I'm sorry. I, I get them confused. <laughs> An old band, Obscure, and a group of old people, Obscure, it, and Amy Coney. Whatever, the uh, the cultist, uh, yeah, the young cultist on the court. Hmm. I I really think that's a bad bad place to be. Of course, if I ever had anything that came up there, well, I'd be off to uh, uh, your leg. <laughs> Right. No, Central Central America is what I was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> Your Honor. I really need to go to the bathroom and I'm gone. <laughs> Shouldn't say that on the air. Don't quote me. Oh yeah, it's too late. <sighs>
2: we could we'll leave that out in post. Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> no, you don't have to.
2: Ashwers, did you have any news that you absolutely wanted to get to this week or should we just keep um, on no, with it? The...
0: I did. I had one thing that I want to talk okay. about. Um so I had a report of a deer person locally. A deer oh, like okay. a deer man um and i thought that was interesting you know a lot of people there's a lot of um infighting about the not deer and and what that is um or even deer people in general um deers themselves have been known to walk the walk upright sometimes and and when you see that you see a big old buck with a big old rack on it walking upright yeah it's horrifying (laughs) and your imagination could run wild this person saw a two-headed deer walking bipedal um in the woods and it was eating on something else some some carrion or something on the side of the road um so and you was, said this was
2: cool. locally it was in ohio
0: was, yeah this was yep this was local this was in ohio um you know and i just thought that that was uh pretty neat you know you get i get tons of um you know hey my house is haunted or oh i saw a bigfoot or even hey i saw dog man i don't get a lot of deer man so that that was really cool
1: um I don't know what part of ohio people. if i can ask or if you know this, so this happened in
0: the Miami Valley. I'm in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and ah, yeah,
1: Dayton, yes, yes. <laughs> we all, all of us old ufologists, know all about oh, Dayton. Oh, we yeah. even had our convention there once, which was interesting. <laughs> Maybe I should Usually it was Cleveland, but uh, sure. uh, Dayton was one of our annual events, and of course, we all know what goes on in the what's the hangar number? Hangar 18, it's sort of like area. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hangar 18. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim Mosley, my old uh, late uh, friend uh, actually visited there and wrote a book of call. Well, actually Gray Barker wrote the book, but it was has Jim's name on it. It was just the way ufology was back in the day, but it describes Jim's real and authentic trip to Wright Patterson. So, All things are possible. But the reason I asked was because uh, that particular form of shape-shifting, turning into a deer, is a standard uh, first American uh, way of shape-shifting. It's usually a woman, like like the deer woman? Or is is the gender important? Almost. almost, Well, yeah, because a, a doe would not have prominent antlers antlers, whereas uh, uh, a buck would would but i don't know that anybody reports seeing a a buck so it's uh i mean because you know that's a either protected or prized target of those brave men with the great big (laughs) tricked out ar-15s with or really with an m16 uh modified to shoot an animal that doesn't eat flesh i was going to make that point deers <laughs> do not eat meat they're no. vegan as yeah. it were yeah so we bones. are bones
0: that is something that they'll do for them for the marrow but yeah they don't eat meat they're not dangerous. oh
1: yeah well that, that's you know uh
0: It is interesting. um, The connection with deers that I've had in my life lately has has been odd. For somebody that's grown up that have seen deer a lot in my life, um, it has been significant to me. You know, Ann and I, we saw, Ann's my research partner. uh, She was on the show. If you guys haven't listened to that, listen to it. Um, But we saw a ghost deer in the TNT area in Point Pleasant. And, uh, you know, now the deer, these deer people have been kind of popping up in my life a lot lately.
1: Mm. That oh, is interesting. Yeah. You didn't actually see this though. You heard this particular story, right?
0: This, the two headed deer. Yeah. That's something that I, I did not see. Uh, it's just a report. Somebody passed on to me um, that saw it in the area, but uh, the ghost deer. Yeah. We, we saw it. We, we did see that. It's the only weird deer I've seen.
1: <laughs> mm, well, if it was in the TNT area, you were uh, in a portal uh, and, Lots of stuff comes through that portal in and out. Nobody has yeah. uh, bothered to close that. I don't think anybody wants to, and it's been open since the 1960s and weird things come out of it. My understanding is that all cryptids and all uh, we we'll call them UFO beings uh, are, our inability to resolve with our Mm -hmm. pretty primitive five senses what we're actually seeing. So we make it something familiar, but also that is influenced by our preconceptions and by our own uh, uh, way of looking at things. And uh, uh, the the way I describe that is in terms of biological time, uh, human beings just came down out of the trees, stood upright and said, what's to eat? And tried to avoid being that thing. And that's what our senses are, are, are for. Uh, 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 Bill Shatner said something very interesting just a few days ago in his, new book, which I don't know the name of, so I'm not going to plug his stuff, Uh, (laughs) but, but he said something very interesting. He said, when I went into space, I had a profound sense of sadness because I looked at the earth so full of life. And I looked at what he described as the abyss, which really the visible universe is something that a lot of astronauts have, uh, had, uh, after effects from, because basically you're used to the sky being blue and the earth being largely green or blue, depending on where you are. And space from the standpoint of our senses is pretty empty. I mean, because actually it's not, it's just, what we can attune to. I mean, there is uh, there is no such thing as a, a void. There are virtual particles and quarks and things that link everything in the universe, really, but uh, you can't see those. So it looks like an abyss. And what I was saying was, in terms of uh, biological time, we were born yesterday. And we're not really equipped to see whatever these things are coming in from yeah. the 18th dimension of which there are an infinite number. So we see what what we can see, some equivalence. Um, and in terms of geological time, uh, we were you know, three days old. And in terms of cosmological time, we're a blip, not even a second. So we're ill-equipped to uh, to contemplate what goes on in other realms of reality. yeah. And so we see what we do, you know?
2: Do you yeah. think that we're a central point in creation, or do you think that we're just like a footnote? You know what I mean? When you talk about how biologically we've only been here such a short period of time, but yet we have figured out how to communicate or at least reach out to these things or these things are reaching out to us. You know, we're, we're involved in the, we have a conversation with them as one-sided as it may be at times, there's still something going back and forth. And it, it seems that we could almost be undeserving of that unless there's more to us, you know, like, are we just, you know, I don't know, I guess, do you understand what I'm saying with that? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean,
1: that's, is is Earth unique? And I would think that in the visible universe, we may be. You know, there's all this stuff about uh, exoplanets and uh, the notion I've always found peculiar that uh, flying saucers come from another planet. And sometimes, ignorantly enough, they say another galaxy, which is no, no conception of what distances there are between galaxies but uh uh i don't know where that occurred to people in 1947 at the time of the kenneth arnold case because in truth ufos are only seen on or near the earth and there is no reason to believe other than speculation that they come from other planets maybe other dimensions because the way uh the the quantum physicists put it um there are perhaps an infinite number of other dimensions and they're right here right in whatever space you're in right now there's just a an invisible barrier which the current thinking is there's no way to penetrate it uh I think it's penetrated every day in terms of there's that great scene in the matrix where uh, a repeater a cat walking across the room tells neo uh, something is happening in the matrix it's a glitch and i think that some of these are glitches not intentional and some of them are intentional because if there are an infinite number of, uh, dimensions is the wrong word. It's a, actually the right word is brains, B-R-A-N-E-S, not brains, 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 brains. <laughs> but uh, um, that being the case, whatever you can conceive of does exist somewhere, whether they come here or not. Are we special? I don't know. But we may be the only living planet in the the visible universe. We may not be, but there are a lot of things that are not calculated in, like towards the center of the galaxy, you can count all the stars and uh, uh, not realize that radiation becomes very intense. And then you get to the black hole at the center, apparently, of every spiral galaxy. And uh, nothing that we can conceive of is alive in a black hole or even near it. They're stretched out to whatever infinity is. So you have that, you have all kinds of hostile elements in the universe. We just discovered that we're surrounded by uh, uh, asteroids and comets. And in the past, the only thing people knew about that was those that really, you know, made a dramatic appearance in our skies. But the truth is, once we had space-borne telescopes, every week in my news feed, I see asteroid coming to Earth, to which I reassure my readers, uh, we're a very small target. Right. And we get a hit, uh, a hit, maybe once every million years. So, the likelihood of actually being in collision with anything larger than a, a meteor is very small. Yeah. And ten years from now, it will become nothing because we just uh, blew a an asteroid off. Uh,
2: yeah, off of about it, a week ago. It.
1: Yeah, and that always precedes, you know uh developing a technology to do that with ease and after the web telescope was launched i can believe anything in our shall we say immediate vicinity is covered and hopefully they they have some uh, anti-missile missiles a lot of them because <laughs> we we may be gonna need them i'm doing a yi qing, a long yi qing reading on that right now to decide whether you know i need to pack up and go to Belize or someplace that is unlikely to be a target or not.
2: I thought we were going to Mexico. You haven't have excited about Mexico for You can't get to
1: Belize without going through Mexico. All right, all right. On the Pan-American Highway, or if there's a panic, I know back roads. And I'll be glad to tell you in my forthcoming volume how to survive a really, really big nuclear war and just die of the radiation a year later. No, no, no! I wouldn't write a book like that. I'm I'm an optimist, sort of.
2: However, you did write a book called "Saucer and Saucers: The Stranger Than Fiction Story of Our of UFOs and Those Who Chase Them." Um, it came out earlier this year, and I mm-hmm. was uh, I, I read a copy of it, and it was very uh, kind of tying into what we talked about at the beginning of the show. It it, it talks about it talks about a lot of shit, but um the main thrust of the book is is really where the modern what would someone like me and i'm 41 the 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 ufo community as i took for granted that just kind of existed as i came into um knowledge of its existence it was already there i mean it no it was founded by people it was founded by like-minded people that were communicating through the comment section of magazines or whatever writing letters back and forth and then you guys would get together and you'd have these conferences and these prevailing theories one of which you just talked about that ufos come from different planets like that was the stuff that we just kind of accept as part of the mythology was laid out by people early thinkers that were people that sat down and thought about this stuff that looked at the evidence that looked at the reports and kind of put the, started to put these theories together and going back to the whole ufos are from a different planet thing i mean you had contactees making those claims
1: mm-hmm. back in the day
2: i mean that people said that people said that i talked to um and this is something we we've, we've brought up on shows in the past how the early contactee movement was more it was very personal it was like oh i met an alien named blorp and he told me that he's a venusian and blah 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 blah, whatever right now the all the alien contacts it, it's these faceless grays that maybe communicate telepathically or whatever but you know the early days in the in the in the you know 50s 60s whatever when people were running into aliens they had names they were from places it was it, there was conversations there was environmental warnings or whatever you know and um so that's. I mean, that's where. I'm not saying I think those people were lying, but this idea that UFOs come from different planets. I mean, it's not just something we like haphazardly came up with on our own. That was kind of the information that we were being fed, right? and Yeah,
1: that is true, but that doesn't mean that that was the source. The source, I think, preceded any of the contact ebooks. I guess the first was. Uh, George Adamski's book, which was co-written with a a, a real uh, author uh, from, uh, I think, Desmond Leslie. uh, And uh, that was published in, I think it was 1954. And the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which is not a hypothesis, it's a speculation, uh, goes back at least to uh, Borderland Sciences Research Associates back in the 1940s when Mead Lane, who was also an occultist, uh, uh, was... I think the book was called The Coming of the Guardians, and it was a friendly alien from other planets notion. But that's based on trans-channeling, and trans-channeling, it goes from communication with deceased human beings to communication with demons, depending on who you're talking to. I mean, if you're talking to some fundamentalist, you'll say, those are all demons. If you talk to new agey people, they say, no, I am raw. You know, I mean, I know the people that did the raw communications. One of whom was an Eastern Airlines pilot who uh, I knew quite well, flying by day and trans-channeling by night, but that particular group never claimed uh, that what they were receiving necessarily was objectively true. They didn't make that claim. They did claim, and I I saw this in person, so I, I know they can, they could do that. Unfortunately, like other first-gen ufologists, they're all gone now, or virtually all gone. Uh, some, some of these groups still exist, but they're in their like fifth or sixth um, incarnation. Fortunately, being a second-gen ufologist, I had the privilege of knowing a great many of those people. I mean, some of them, you know, I could say I knew them, meaning I once shook hands with them back when I shook hands, but uh, um, um, so the people who are the really almost forgotten heroes are are gone. And what's left is a rapidly diminishing group of second gen people, all of whom are in their sixties and seventies. And, you know, they're, I mean, we started out when we were 12 and 13, Uh, because Ray Palmer generously had a section in Flag Saucers magazine, which was a newsstand magazine back when there were newsstand magazines, uh, other than Cosmo, of course, you know, I mean, a UFO magazine would only sell judging from Cosmo that, uh, if it has the word sex or some variation of it 14 times on the cover, you know. How to have better sex. I like the
2: quizzes so I can find out who I am as a person.
1: (laughs) You miserable man. Right. (laughs) Tell me what I'm doing wrong when we take the quiz. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, you are, well, what can I say? But uh, anyway, he had a free column called Saucer Club News. And the scattered handful of people that were involved in organized ufology if you want to call it organized and i mean handful is like maybe a few hundred maybe that would be you know including peripheral people we're talking 1960s early 1960s here um there was no internet long distance phone calls cost a fortune and travel is very difficult when you're under 16 and don't have a driver's license Hmm. fortunately i had a father that had a lincoln and he was glad to take me to conventions because he liked my mother liked to see this stuff because she thought it was all nonsense but She had a fascination with nutty people doing nutty things. (laughs) So we all went to Cleveland and that went on for 50 years, 60 years, 60 years. We did that convention every year, excepting uh, uh, 2001. Uh, because of 911 it was scheduled for 9 eleven. actually one year we uh, let me see it was 2000 yeah we had the second convention in New, that we had in New York and where we had our dinner was in the restaurant at the top of the twin towers so uh, the convention was called off that year. Yeah. Um, you know, in in deference to what was going on. Uh, and what can I say? we pioneered the flying saucer conventions and now I never get invited to any of these (laughs) weird things where I can make a little speech and sell a lot of books. (laughs) (laughs) Would you be interested (laughs) in
2: that? If, if, if opportunities presented themselves for you to come and be. Yeah. I keep
1: saying to my publisher, uh, the coming thing now post post in quotes, COVID is our in-person conventions of a variety of uh, weirdness. Of course, John Tinney just calls it weirdness. And I think he, he or his doppelganger appears at virtually all of these conventions, <laughs> even if they're at the same time in different cities, a continent apart. How does he do that? He's John Tinney. Uh, actually, I met him at one of our conventions when he was but a callow youth. And I was the mature ufologist there in charge of the convention when we held it in Atlanta. Never saw it coming. No, yeah, he saw it coming. (laughs) (laughs) Who didn't see it coming? Me. I I shared a table with Jim Keith and it happened that the hotel that we were having this convention at, which was well attended, um, we spent, 12 grand on it. And we made 12 grand. So it was, isn't it that was, all uh, of them
0: though?
1: <laughs> uh, well, no, the best and the largest is still to date, I think was the, uh, 1967 summer of love, June 24th, 1967 at a hotel, which Trump tore down a great old hotel in new york city where we had twelve thousand people which is interesting because because dr condon was there i mean the every that was your almost your last chance to meet the classical contactees howard menger was there uh uh, the love candidate for president Louis abelafia was there because it was the summer of love and uh actually, that's a side story. Also, we were infiltrated by uh, people from the East Village Other, the underground newspaper of that period. Uh, and uh, I guess they were looking for, you know, whatever it was that we do, were doing in secret. And what Something we did Something
2: salacious, is,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any of us in 1967 did any drugs other than alcohol where we would get Uh, very, very inebriated. Two years later, we were all hippies, even the older generation people like. Somewhere in the Gray Barker collection is a filmlet. Gray uh, was in the auto visual business uh, by day and saw Syrian publications by night. So he had one of the first video recorders. So he and Jim Mosley would get together and get very, very drunk and pull all sorts of mischief because they hated the pomposity of uh, nuts and bolts ufology, mostly engineering types who saw their own reflection. You know, this is engineering because we can land something on Mars, which that, uh, is that my, no, it's, if they came this early, F them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> did I say that right? On most shows I uh, I mean you, but I,
0: there's, there's no limits here so you're you're free and clear well, you're representing yourself. Oh,
1: <laughs> okay. Well, you asked for it because the new god bless them who did invite me to one of their covid conventions uh you know so it was online uh, uh, called me in the leaflets Alan fucking Greenfield. So I took that to <laughs> heart. And I often uh describe myself as, oh yes, I'm Alan Fucking Greenfield. Glad to meet you. Wanna buy a book? <laughs> my book on sex magic. Don't forget, it's my middle name. You know. <laughs> I
2: you know what? I, I feel bad because I read two of your books before you came on and I didn't I didn't know about the Grail Within, which is the sex magic one. And I it' man I, I didn't want to I'm obviously not going to postpone the interview like we are doing it now but uh if I could have read that before today I would have and I'm going to read I'm it I'm a immediately big fan thereafter. of sex magic
0: so I and I've never I've I had no idea you wrote a book about it I'm I'm bad I guess
1: <laughs> no you're just uh, ignorant of my book <laughs>
0: that's true that's
1: true <laughs> but it's I think it's You know, there are a lot of books now about sex magic, which uh, must make the OTO horribly unhappy because all they have to offer is the central secret. And uh, there's dozens of books that uh, pretty much reveal what really started out with P.B. Randolph in the 19th century, but my book starts out giving the theory, which they all do. And then it talks about my own personal experiences with no gilding of the lily and no fig leaves. Hard to write, believe me, uh, because I was talking about my own experiences with various people. And I don't believe there's any other book where, with the possible exception of a very old book by Lewis Culling, who the grand bah? the OTO said, you're the only person that ever got anything out of Lewis Culling's books, to which I just smiled, you know, Uh, because he talked a little bit about his own experiences, but I talked most of the book about mine and hard to do because some of them are relatively bizarre, 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 (laughs) but I recommend the book. In fact, The one program that I did a while back when the book was first released, which was earlier this year. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, came out long ago and really the only prequel to it was uh, um, kind of the draft version, which I distributed by hand free to 93 persons, which is an important in the thelemic farce, I mean universe that uh, that I thought were advanced initiates in my OTO days, that isn't D-A-Y-S, that's D-A-Z-E, M-O-U-S-E. I got my ears, got my hat, what a hat. Reach wide out, time is near. You're an honorary, bomb, Thelemite. big deal. <laughs> uh no that it that you know kinda... there are still musketeers living, including the one I had a crush on when I was a kid, Darlene Gillespie. I hope she's still with us
2: britney, britney Spears was a musketeer
1: uh second second group of musketeers I'm talking about the original, the uh, original from the fifties when I was but a lad. <laughs>
2: The, uh, most people had
1: a crush on Annette who is long gone, but uh, because she was uh well endowed at an early age, <laughs> but, Char- uh,
2: charging sigils through um, through uh, orgasm is like probably the one of the first magic rituals that I was introduced to. Um, and I had picked up on that through Grant Morrison. Who was a comic book writer uh he's still a comic book writer now but he was doing a, a series called the invisibles in the late yeah. 90s early 2000s was huge. did an issue
1: on my mentor uh, michael bertio you know so i mean it was totally devoted to bertio's uh mythos and i don't mean that as in it isn't real i mean that he's one of the few people before me who grasped that there are other universes and
2: do you remember what I, I reread that like once every couple of years I have I have like the big omnibus they put out and I'll, I'll try to reread it um I mean I'm, I'm due for another one anyway but that was huge for me as far as exposing me to like a lot of this stuff and Morrison had a letter column at like a like just like a, at the end of every issue where he would like write to the, the audience and stuff and he would talk about the different chaos magic stuff that he would do and that was kind of how I, I first picked up on it because I can draw a bunch of squiggly lines and I could jerk off. So if that means that I can do magic, like, cool. Um, but the fact that you wrote a whole entire book dedicated to it, I would definitely like to check out because that yeah, there, there seems a lot more like in depth. They, <laughs> seems a lot more in depth than that.
1: <laughs> I, I didn't put this, because I'm very careful about this sort of thing. It's very sensitive. And uh, that Dr. Reich went to prison because of uh, essentially the same thing. But uh, at one point I did a talisman, which was it's important that it be consecrated by the fluids of both a male and female practitioner because uh my mother had cancer, and this was designed to cure that, which I mean she had minimal uh, conventional therapy and the only thing I did other than the sigil and give it to her was uh, and not tell her exactly how it was <laughs> consecrated, not that That's she true. wouldn't have i mean she read every. I learned about sex from her books being left, because they called it unexpurgated, which was something that was big in the 50s, you know, like Henry Miller, there was a court ruling or something back when there was a Supreme Court that was worth something, sort of, uh, if you don't mind, appointments for life like the King of England, which I thought we had a revolution about, but that's either here or there. He was a crazy guy. Um, but so is Emma Cody. My
2: my mom had a copy of our body ourselves on her bookshelf. The point is
1: she, um, she no longer had any symptoms whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. to the day she passed away from a totally unrelated thing in her eighties, um, she was cancer free and she had by definition, metastatic cancer. But please don't write me for one of those, okay? I well, I can't do magic for myself for some reason, but uh, I don't want to get into the cancer business at all. I don't, I don't feel like that's my department. And the five years I spent working for the Psychic Friends Network, you know, there was romance, finance, and health. And it's a very challenging thing to deal with. And I prefer not to do that one. In fact, uh, the uh, consecration I had, I stopped using the term bishop because in the 10 years that I did the Arabia working, people would come and ask to be empowered. And I realized a lot of these people were taking it to be something that was a specific religious uh, thing. And that's not what I was doing at all. I don't know that, it doesn't have implications for spirituality, but it. what I was doing was empowerments which are non-sectarian. You didn't, you could be an atheist or a fundamentalist or somewhere in between or a follower of Baba Ram Das or one of the many gurus that descended upon America and still, uh, uh i mean we had a tibetan monk uh come to one of our uh events and in 10 years we did a lot of empowering you know a lot of empowering up there but people would go away and form a church and i'm not trying to do that so right i have the what was it that uh, kenneth grant said uh, we've put aside the masonic initiations without uh, voiding the digni- the Masonic dignities that we have, meaning he could still call himself a, you know, ninth degree, 97th degree, whatever, all of those things. Because that's, as Amork used to say in their ads, not a religious organization.
2: With ceremonial magic or sex magic or any that kind of stuff, do you feel that you're actually invoking the intercession of an outside force, or do you think that you're bending reality to your own will?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I just assumed that the universe, to the extent that we can know it, is one. And I base that mostly on quantum physics and the concept of quantum entanglement, which, by the way, just just got its first actual scientific proof. Interesting theory, but it's the first experiment, just i read about it today, by total synchronicity. <laughs> and uh, uh, the fact is that I think everything in the universe is interconnected, almost as if it were a super brain. you know? So there are all sorts of hints of that, like uh, you were mentioning chaos theory, chaos. Uh, theory and spin-off chaos magic is based on the notion that uh, ordo ab chaos, as they say in Freemasonry, and on the back of the dollar bill, I think, uh, uh, right under the uh, pyramid. But because uh, in the eighteenth century, you had to know Latin, or you were just an ignorant peasant.
2: Well, that was up until the sixties. That was up until uh, just recently. Oh, yeah. When yeah. I was in
1: high school, uh, Latin was uh, not compulsory, but was like one of the languages you could take. And hmm. uh, uh, they they incentivized that by having a toga week. So <laughs> Belushi wasn't the first or the last. I mean, there I was, everybody, all the boys, had to wear... ROTC uniforms, because if you were a boy attending high school in those days, especially in the South, it was compulsory ROTC right up until you were 18. And the next year, you were eligible for the draft and off to Vietnam. Uh, I uh, declined to <laughs> make that particular uh, decision I said I was allergic to wool which I was you know and the uniforms were wool so I passed on Roxy where there did I know. get to that from Toga Toga okay. Toga
2: answers <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> please tell me you have a question because I feel bad I'm asking
0: oh gosh um I, feel like I'm doing I don't too know. much talking here. I have 10 million I guess um okay oh okay all right well okay so we're 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 closing in on our hour mark let's kind of start we've talked a lot about a lot of the things that you know some of the things that you've done some fun stories what are you doing nowadays what do you what do you got planned in the future um what what does alan fucking greenfield have going on in in his future days
1: well at my age fucking is not the (laughs) (laughs) although as the whore on the street corner said i'm available that's for conventions, you know. Uh, God, I say some things on the air that embarrass even me. Oh,
0: no, you sometime, really. You're a good company.
2: You're a good company. Yeah.
1: So, uh, actually, the the major focus of my work at this point is the very difficult process that uh, my publisher is shouldering a, a great deal of and it, it is the uh, yet untitled book on the black lodge and the secret cipher of the euphonics plug um because i really had designed uh secret cipher to be a trilogy mm-hmm. but because the black lodge uh, in the person of the the Grand Poobah of the O.T.O., basically, applied pressure to me not to publish any more U.F.O. books, or I might lose a Grand Lodge office in the O.T.O. Oh. He told me that, hovering above a key portal in uh, North Georgia, driving me back to Atlanta from where he was. Uh, uh, he's always hiding somewhere, staying, and he lectured me on how the occult is respectable, and we're looking for respectability, but uh, UFOs are not respectable. Well, I know what the statistics are, and I, wow. know, I, I know what campus stuff is, and the occult is doo-doo, as uh, Michael Jackson put it in court so eloquently whereas ufos have a growing respectability and now it has an enormous respectability despite ufo hunters and all those things on the history channel that they put on ghost hunters ufo hunters 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 whatever that uh, when they ran out of world war ii stock footage that was the replacement <laughs> I know. I did (laughs) several of those shows and wrote an editorial about it and was never invited to another one. I I don't know why. I I just call them all acting because that's what they are. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and on the ghost hunter thing, you know, which I didn't do, the ghost hunters are usually plumbers from New Jersey who, when they get in a building, an old building that has rats in the wall, they hear the sound of scuttling rats and they go, "Ah, let's get our equipment out and find out what this is. Right. Ask the Newkirks about that. You know, I mean, it's just. uh,
2: Yeah. The the guys that I were talking to this weekend, they went, one of the, I asked them like the different places they went to and they went to like, you know, closed sanatoriums and, uh, Juliet Prison, which is closed down, and then they mentioned they went to the uh the leather archives in Chicago, so we have like a real big leather community here, and there's a museum, a leather museum of like all of the stuff from i m l um from like the past thirty years and I had a a friend that did a documentary about the leather scene in Chicago, and she told me that that museum was haunted or that they they thought that it was haunted, but she felt like it was more residual energy from all the stuff that they keep in the museum. And when the guys mentioned that they went there, I I immediately, I perked up. I'm like, tell me all about it. What was it like? You know? And they were like, oh, it was, was, there wasn't really anything going on. It was kind of not really that interesting. And I'm thinking you were the two wrongest motherfuckers to be looking for ghosts in a leather museum. Like (laughs) you ever think maybe that has something to do with it. Like you wouldn't know what a pussy was, but it probably be your face and set on your nose. Like what the fuck you (laughs) you were going to find in there? Um, Which made me want to go back. I was like, well, if they just let you walk around there and videotape shit, I'll do that because not saying that I would be that much better of a conduit, but I'd at least had to know how to talk to the people I would think, or whatever. Do they
1: have on leather pants and a <laughs> leather shirt?
2: That's well. That's what. That's what they have. And in the holding
1: museum. their their thing, you know, their detector in one hand and their <laughs> whip in another. But that's that's in the book. It's in the book. It's just briefly in the book. So. <laughs> that's
2: i wanted to ask because I, I i've have uh uh past acquaintances that, that have been associated with the oto temple here in chicago you oh, have, merciful what jesus what was protects. just just recreationally um but what was what what was your connection here because i did see that that you were did you live here for a little bit or
1: no you i was through
2: or you were a member of that was uh
1: in chicago yeah um i have a number of chicago stories it's just <laughs> it's the town that billy sunday couldn't close down in chicago in chicago right. that title in town but uh you would know it but it's now obscure but uh yeah i mean in my uh early days in ufology um Well, I got kicked out of the NICAP office in D.C. with Gene Steinberg, another one of the survivors of my my generation, and uh, still doing his podcast. And uh, who else was with me? Rick Hilberg, who's still around in Cleveland. I recommend getting in touch with Rick. Rick is a MUFON historian, but... He's not a nuts and bolts person. He is more advanced than that. Um, now, I mean, we all were nuts and bolts people, you know, in the early yeah. 60s. Um, it's, it's where, you know, if you're 14 and hear, hearing uh, Project Blue Book propaganda and or NICAP or APRO propaganda, that was pre-MUFON. Um that's what you were. They came from Mars, and they were just like the things we were trying to develop, coincidentally. Since I don't believe in coincidences, that's, it's all synchronicity. But where was I going with that? Have you noticed that old people tend to ramble a lot?
2: (laughs) You make for great podcast guests, though, because you fill the time.
1: Yeah. Uh, There I'm popular, you know, but not for in person conventions because I tend to uh, consider my uh, appearance a failure if half the audience doesn't leave in disgust. (laughs) <laughs> i had been i, have I start been, I have, out with uh, the famous line from a first gen ufologist uh, brad steiger i think it was or or was it uh, good grief how soon they forget everything you know is wrong but that was uh, the title of one of the books by don't tell me brain
0: You can do this. I believe in
1: you. I believe in me too, but I don't (laughs) believe in forgetting stuff like that on the air. I know his name, but I'm not going to reveal it. But then this guy, Bob Wilson, he always called me no matter what context he saw me in, the UFO guy. He once saw me do a Gnostic mask because that was during my OTO days. Uh, And right after it, He came out and asking about why i didn't mention certain gnostic saints which it didn't call for because they were italicized in the crowley script uh and they're only for high masses or the unofficial non-symbolic masses of which i have attended quite a few shh don't tell anybody When they say non-symbolic, they mean non-symbolic. You know, the lance goes in the cup and the particle goes into the cup. A bell rings. As they say, you don't have to be, well, a train goes into a tunnel. You don't have to be Fellini to figure that one out.
2: Gotcha. Um, what is your take on the modern UAP disclosure thing that's going on right now with the government? Is it genuine or it's, is it what, what is?
1: I think that the, the change of terminology is suspicious because UFO has come to be the equivalent of flying saucer. UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, basically makes it a non-thing. And having been through the uh, University of Colorado era and having the head of the project dr. condon attend our convention and then basically trash the whole subject after several years I'm not sure that this is not oh well we figured this all out it's uh, uh, it's all from China
0: yeah
1: you know or whatever I don't think there th- th- there's any reason to believe that the U.S. government knows more about flying saucers than I do. And I always say if you, wanna, you want to have disclosure, talk to a, a ufologist that doesn't have an axe to grind but has reached uh, conclusions based on the phenomena, not based on their, their own, uh, you know, inclinations or wishes or any of that kind of thing including the i mean all they all they do is what blue book and before that grudge and before that uh, project sign ever did was create the false dichotomy they're either natural phenomena or they're flying saucers from outer space. Ding oh well the three people working at right pat were Uh, Let's see, there was a middle-ranking officer, usually a very skeptical person, a subordinate, usually an enlisted man, Air Force personnel, and a secretary. That was it, that was Project Blue Book. Yep. So where are they better equipped to deal with flying saucers than I am, and my then network of, you know, 50 or 100 uh, scattered people who investigated cases with gradually no preconceptions at all. Just what we saw, what we heard was just uh, modified our opinions. And it's still, you know, I would be easy if somebody came up with another. Uh, notion, but when I encountered the connection with uh, cryptids and ghosts and other paranormal phenomena, I realized, and then the connection to quantum physics, I realized that this is probably all one thing under various guises. That was not a quick decision, but it was where I am now, always with everything with me, subject to... Uh, additional information, which might change my mind.
0: How long did it take you to come to the conclusion, um, that these things were not only connected, but connected to science that we vaguely recognize?
1: I'm not so sure it's that vague anymore because, uh, gee, in the newsfeed, there's a story about quantum computing every other day. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, just the notion. Involves quantum entanglement, or, the, or you know, there would be no advantage to quantum computing, and there are also stories about uh, all sorts of quantum phenomena, because the, the the rock bottom idea is the universe is not as it seems, and it's not just you know about. Uh, Yeah, I've got about seven minutes left to tell you the secret of immortality. The secret of immortality is King Viserys. (laughs) That's for all of you Dance of Dragons fans, which I watch religiously because it's the only fantasy I can get into, you know. I haven't
2: watched it since the time jump. I'm like three episodes behind I watched the first four or five where they were where they're young, and then it, it shoots forward, and they use a different actress for the for the girl. I haven't seen. I'll, that I'll give you
1: a brief review. Great show, very entertaining, but the wigs that look like mops on people's heads and probably are is a poor special effects. <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, the cityscapes that they show are not a really good special effect. And the, the dragon riders seen at a distance. So you can see the dragon look like toy. Like, yeah. Yeah. Toy figures. So I would suggest they really put some money behind their effects crew because plotline is, you know, really good, really challenging and very dark, which I tend to like, sure. but, but also, um, as was true in Game of Thrones, and is true throughout the that corpus of books, published and unpublished at this point. Um, that's fine, but you really need to have effects that are up to the Game of Thrones level. I only right. in what was it seven years, eight years. I only saw a couple of things that pulled me out of the screen and that looks like they really didn't use their effects effectively. Most of the time it was flawless. I can only think of one where, uh, a guy is pushed into the water and it suddenly turns into one of those little people who show up in Dance of Dragons and, uh, but that mops really bug me you know yeah i mean they could get wigs that fit you know but if you're going to do dreadlocks you'd best do dreadlocks that look like dreadlocks not like there's something you polish the floor with there may be an underlying meaning there that i don't particularly like you know something
2: it's funny you bring that up because they remember the last last couple seasons they would have issues with like starbucks cups making their way into scenes or like, it only happened once, but yeah, uh, yeah. Where like, it, you, I don't know if they're rushed in the production where they're not, they're on set and they're not paying attention, and then they're they're editing it together in post and they got a rush to get it out, and they're not paying attention. But usually you catch stuff like that. And for they missed a couple. I know that I know the cup was one, but there was other stuff I remember people the internet picking them apart for too, where it was like just continuity stuff, stuff making its way into the background of shots, you know.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well. I mean, the general consensus among hardcore fans is the two guys that were the, in the current parlance, showrunners uh, at that time really were in a hurry to get rid of the series because they thought they were going to Disney, which didn't work out. Yeah, uh, get Star Wars. So, th- but they didn't. I yeah. mean, they gave it to someone else, which is good. They, As long as they were following the books and adapting them, which is, you know, you don't want to be slavishly follow books. You want to adapt because, uh, television and literature aren't the same thing. My eldest son is a screenwriter, so I have some, you know, some sense of what's good and what's not, uh, interesting business. But, um, they were in a hurry to finish. So they really looked hurried and too cute by half in the seventh season. I may be garbling this slightly because I'm not a hardcore fan, I'm just a fan, you know. And in the last season, they completely blew it. I mean, it was just an embarrassing ending that left all sorts of un- entangled, angry fans out there who probably would have burned these guys at the stake if they could have get a, <laughs> gotten a hold of them. Instead, they ranted on YouTube for months, put out a petition to redo those episodes, and got a million signatures. Uh... HBO doesn't pay much attention to petitions, apparently. Yeah, that's
2: not going to happen. But what's your your one time it did
1: happen was Star Trek, uh, the original Star Trek.
2: Oh, when they brought the movie back, or when they did the motion picture? No, no, they
1: brought the TV show back for a third season. They had canceled it, and I don't know how many signatures they got, but they got a lot for that period of time so they brought it back for a third season and put it on at an hour that most of the younger fans couldn't see so you know it was it was doomed but it got an extra season and since then petitions have become a a thang and (laughs) i tell you they don't work anymore right it's a one-time one-trick pony Ashers. So, I'm almost out of time, which is fortunate because I'm almost out of things to say. Unless you ask me some really <laughs> challenging question. like, your, "Do you really believe thing? this
2: shit?" What's your favorite thing your kid written? <laughs> your kids written?
1: Uh, Earthquake ten point uh, She is, does
2: the uh, like the Sci Fi Channel movies.
1: Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, almost you can find most of his films now, which I wish he got residuals on, but I don't think he does. Uh, um, His best is uh, kind of a salute to uh, Roger Corman, but it's, uh, so I want to call it Blood Beach because it is modeled on that, but that was like early 1960s and he was not even a gleam in my eye in the early 1960s. But um, what was the name of that movie? Uh, the sand, and that is on uh, either Prime or um, yeah, I think it's on Prime and on HBO Max in perpetuity, sort of. So most of his most of his films are on there. Oh no! Nice. It looks like
2: he's a writer for WWE too. That's awesome.
1: He was with WWE. He's now with another wrestling federation. That's what he does in his off time. Even though there's no such thing as a script writer in wrestling, because wrestling is the real thing. Oh, yeah. The real thing. I'm sure the sand looks badass. You heard it here. What you're hoping to find (laughs) is the real thing. Coca Cola. Do I get a rake off? (laughs) <laughs> complete secret cipher of the euphonauts and what is that other book uh the filthy god to sex magic no that isn't the name of it
2: <laughs> oh no it's uh the grail within i think yeah um, the grail
1: within yeah, yeah i don't do titles i don't you know once i've written i have no control over pricing or titles or proofreading or any of that so
0: Sure. Yeah, no. Don't they, blame me,
1: just for the the writing.
2: No, they're real good. And they're all they're all available on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Order it, you'll get it the next day. Including um, one
1: that I didn't write that's under my name. Uh something, the history of witchcraft or something. Which oh, Witchcraft
2: Secrets Revealed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can buy it, and some of the material is stuff that I wrote on my uh old a webpage, you know, the traditional ones before, uh, social media came to dominate, uh, social media. I mean, sure. back in the day when there wasn't really Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or
2: TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. Look at, you want to look up, um, TikTok. Alan H. Greenfield on Amazon, and that gives you- R.T. Like, Alan
1: Greenfield or whatever. Okay. I, I always say, just Google my name. It's A-L-L-E-N, that was my parents, not A-L-A-N. A-L-L-E-N, Greenfield, G-R-E-E-N, F-I-E-L-D. And you'll see thousands of entries, some of which relate to the truth, others of which don't. Like the Wikipedia piece on me, which, you know, you can't contribute to your own Wikipedia Piece, but uh, as uh, as I often say, after Hellier, before Hellier, I was almost obscure. After Hellier, I'm almost famous, but not quite.
0: <laughs> and
2: after this podcast, you'll be uh, I don't know nothing. It's not going to. This isn't going to move your move your dial
0: you'll still be anyway. almost famous but not quite <laughs> yeah
2: well that's
1: that's what i do uh you a know. couple hundred
2: more people know who you are that's it though
1: yeah well a couple hundred people is a couple, hundred, is hundred, a couple hundred, 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 hundred books you know so yeah. if you don't have it buy it or you're yeah. missing out
2: and, and i can recommend them i've read saucers and saucers and secret cipher or the the complete secret cipher not the incomplete secret cipher um i've read if, both of those and they're good saucers
1: and saw Sauc- if Saucers and Saucers makes you envious of the old days in ufology, it succeeds in what it's trying to do. 100%. Yeah. It was, it was a, uh, sort of fraternity back then. Well, I think and it, like it, science fiction it, fandom, it just got too big and too commercial to, to really be that anymore. But, uh,
2: I think it's an important lesson for people that are interested in um, and being in this space now to have a sense of history and where, where all this stuff came from and how we should conduct ourselves moving forward because events are still a big part of it. And um, this is a book, it's about a lot of things, but it's also really, it's also about the convention circuit and, and how, how, how that was run back in the day and how that was the forefront of everything. And these used to be great places, for um, a a meeting of the minds and an exchange of information and ideas and that it shouldn't just be about selling t-shirts and you know doing whatever in fact we
1: would- didn't we didn't have uh, dealers tables or anything like that at yeah. uh, our conventions and the price of admission was like five dollars or ten dollars for the weekend you know i mean we were we were not in it. We, we were in it to pay for the hall right. that we that we held it in, and the speakers were not paid. I think a couple of years towards the end they they were if they came from distant places, sure. but uh, but it was it would have qualified as a non-profit uh, organization, but never applied for that status. We just did our thing out of the true meaning of the word amateur for and the he, love of it.
2: And you did it well.
1: Thank you. <laughs> now I will fade into the darkness.
0: Yep. All right,
2: I have say your goodbye thing so I can start downloading this track.
0: All right, all right. Well, <laughs> guys, that was Alan fucking Greenfield. You can go buy his books and you absolutely should. Um, of course, he is on social media and uh, I'll put all the links down in the description for you guys to find him if you somehow don't know who he is by now and you listen to the show. Um, But until then, we'll see you guys back here next Wednesday.